Welcome to Design Your Life, the podcast where we explore the essential role design plays in our everyday lives and how, if harnessed correctly, has the power to positively transform the way that we live, design better businesses and sustainable solutions for the planet. We speak to creative entrepreneurs around the world about how they inspire their ideas to life and how they make it all work and the role design plays in their lives. I'm your host, founder of Frost Collective and author of Design Your Life, Vince Frost. At Frost Collective, we are dedicated to designing a better world. Our specialist teams work across branding, strategy, place visioning and wayfinding, solving problems with empathy and creativity to design experiences that benefit people, business and the planet. And as a proud certified B Corp, we meet the highest environmental and social standards by balancing profit with our purpose to design a better world. To find out more, head to frostcollective.com.au. Welcome to the special edition episode of our architecture series from Lego to Skyscrapers. Today I catch up with the Sydney-based Japanese architect Koichi Takada. Koichi and his team are responsible for groundbreaking architectural projects around the world and connecting the built form and nature through Japanese sensibility. We chat about his approach to design and what he is doing to make the construction industry more sustainable and what it's like being a junior BMX champion of Japan. Hey, Koichi, welcome to Design Your Life. How are you doing? Yeah, no, I'm well, thank you. I, I think uh, uh, it'd be good to be out of this lockdown, but uh, that's what it is. So uh, let's look forward. Yeah, well, I think it's only a matter of weeks now. I think it's October the 18th that we're actually allowed to uh, get out and about and get to back to some normality. I know it's been tough. It's been tough for, for, for my team, but uh, is all your team working from home at the moment? Yeah, so uh, obviously, you know, a team of 50 architects working from home and, and uh, uh, myself, IT guys, uh, uh, constantly monitoring the screens uh, and computer needs to be uh, operated remotely. So uh, uh, part of essential work and uh, yeah, it's very empty, being an empty office uh, with uh, things uh, moving without uh, anybody on it, it's uh, quite a sight. Yeah, that's, that's, that must be really cool. I was, I, I was in the studio this week um, preparing for this podcast, but also unpacking book, lots of books uh, that I had in storage and building bookshelves and using the kind of the, the quiet time to kind of sort out the studio, but equally feeling quite sad at the same time that nobody was around because I just love the bustle, you know, the people designing and meetings and people coming and going. Um, it's a nice buzz, isn't it, when you have a business? I think, yeah, I mean, definitely, um, you know, we really uh, miss uh, these interactions. And, uh, and, and I suppose this is really uh, showing that, um, you know, we live in this digital age. Yeah. And it's really constantly, we really need to constantly find a way to stay human. Yeah, well, that's very true. We're, we're thankful with this technology that we can all still continue to work. We're having a conversation, obviously, through the internet and seeing each other and having a chat and our businesses are able to function despite not being in the physical space and I guess that's the question is going forward is is how much of that will we continue with even when we don't have this lockdown how many people will decide that they prefer to work from home at least part of the time I think that you know uh, flexible flexible working um, situation is very uh, helpful 
I think it's the the way for future. Mm -hmm. uh, for instance, we work overseas and uh, we often apply, when I travel overseas, we call it, uh, you know, overseas mode. Uh, so we go into this mode where we work up the time difference. Yeah. And then uh, once a day, I will come to, you know, digital means, I'll come in front of computer and talk to people back in, back in uh, Australia. Ah. And uh, it's almost a bit like that now, but doing it every day. So yeah. for us, it was relatively easier transition. Yep. Uh, but uh, dismissing this physical sense of touch, you know, like you're talking in Zoom, you really don't know how the other... Uh, side of the you know uh, conversations uh, feeling and I think that feeling part the emotional part it's really hard to engage mm. yeah sorry I said that in an unfeeling response sorry no I, <laughs> I, I know what you mean and people can be yeah. distracted you can't see them texting it's very and, hard uh, yeah you know like I of presented stuff. to this uh, forum uh, you know based in London and it was sort of um, broadcast uh, uh, across the world and I was literally talking to computers, not to people. And I'm sure people were behind that computer screen. Oh, wow. Uh, and I did not even see any one of them. And apparently it was about 500 people listening uh, oh, to my presentation. Yeah. And, and halfway point, you, you become numb. And yeah. you sort of come to conscious of, what am I doing? <laughs> you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, this is very new to me and I'm sure to, uh, to the listeners as well. Mm. Yeah, I'm sure it is. I mean, it's... It's quite cold that. It's quite clinical kind of just presenting out and not getting anything back. I mean, that's what we're humans love is that engagement and that connection. Speaking of connections, you know, you and I met uh, 15 years ago uh, on that incredible Central Park project down at Broadway in Sydney uh, with the brilliant Dr. Quek um, for Fraser's. He was the CEO of Fraser's and an incredible visionary. And I remember looking at that project um, prior to that, uh, walking around the site with him, and it was an old brewery um, that had been, they'd, I don't know what, they demolished a big part of it, and there's a massive hole in the ground and a hoarding that had been around for a long time around that site. And I remember him kind of showing us visuals of, of, of his dream and what he wanted to create, and I was just like, oh, my God, this is a project that's never going to happen again. This is, a, this is like an incredible project, and I was just like, Wow, I've never experienced anything like that before. And it was cool and cool. We were doing the branding of it and the marketing and design the display suites, et cetera. But, and, and it was cool to kind of see that you and William Smart did, um, you both did two schemes for the interiors of, of uh, One Central Park. And you know, I, remember, I remember kind of learning about you in, in the process. Uh, and it was, I guess, early on, isn't it, in your, your, your career or your own business, um, that you did that project. And as, I guess probably for you, it was a very influential project as well, right? That's right. I think um, <clears throat> that was maybe my second or third project. I suppose project opportunity. Uh, it was a competition uh, uh, to win the interior East, uh, East Tower uh, interior design. And uh, there was a number of uh, established and uh, very well-known architects and interior designers were in this competition. 
Um, but anyhow, you know, that was just the beginning of my practice after global financial crisis. And, and as you can imagine, I had no tools whatsoever. I had just a blank sheet of paper on my table with a pen or pencil wow. uh, thinking what, what to do, really. And, and the three projects were initially promised uh, when I left uh, the employment, let's say, and then sort of started my own practice. Uh, with very much uh, uh, optimism and, and much hope, when I started those three projects, obviously cancelled <laughs> straight after oh, no. I left, you know. So, you know, it was really tough time, turned into the tough time, I'd say. But uh, thankfully, uh, Dr. Stanley Quick uh, found me and um, gave, gave me uh, this uh, great opportunity. And uh, let's say I gave uh, everything we got at the time. And, yeah. uh, and then we obviously Yeah, won. no, and it was an amazing scheme. And I think that... It was quite symbolic because it was a, a project that was, in a way, I know there have been apartments kind of de designed and developed in Sydney previously, but this was a big, this was a game changer for how it, it representing the new way of living and it representing a different type of living in vertical communities. Um, and Vertical village, yeah, maybe. Yeah, vertical village. And also all, also all the kind of the amenities that went with it, you know, the... Kensington Street, the, sh the stores, the gyms, everything that was in that, the park. Um, it was just like the whole thing was considered and master planned in such a way that was just, I just thought it was genius. But equally around um, the apartments, because I'd, I'd you know, when I, when I saw the display suite with William's um, apartment and your apartment, it were two very different styles and very distinctive. And, and it was really interesting to see that it wasn't just a material ch options, it was actually design, complete design option, uh, which I hadn't seen before. And I thought that was quite visionary as well. No, thank you so much. I think, um, you know, the context really uh, were important to, uh, I suppose, uh, how I found the inspiration for that project. And, mm. and obviously, again, coming out of uh, global financial crisis, I really questioned these uh, developments that, you know, develop with greed, if I may say so, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, it didn't have much substance. And, and uh, you, you kept working on this type of project and you sort of realized, uh, what, what, what am I doing with this? Uh, and, and, and I think when I came off and very much saw this development designed by Jean Nouvelle uh, and Patrick Blanc, of course, uh, collaborated on the green facade. And mm -hmm. I was really, really impressed. And it's uh, such a brave vision and no one thought this uh, greenery would uh, uh, keep growing, <laughs> but today, yeah. uh, thankfully, it's still it's still there. And and uh, so let's say the drawing inspiration from nature, the natural materiality, and I think was relatively still very much new to Sydney market at the time. Mm -hmm. And I remember Dr. Quick even asking me, "Are you sure you want to use this natural wood material? Yeah. Because it reminds me of my." Uh, you know, granny flats or something from seventies <laughs> or eighties. Are you sure you can pull this off? And I was thinking that, yeah, I think you know, this 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 would be the next decade. We really need to keep talking about how we can reconnect with nature in in an urban living environment. And and here I saw Dr. Quick's vision of creating five star green star. Uh, it's a master plan as a residential. It was just extraordinary. No one was committing to this extent of, call it the sustainable design. So, mm. so I really fell in love with his vision and he was such mm. a passionate client, but he was way ahead of time. 
So yeah. for me to come come onto this project was such a privilege. Yeah, that's interesting. And I think obviously he 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 had spent a lot of time. He's from Singapore originally, I think, and spent a lot of time going around the world. And you know, in other countries, that that type of living is is more has been around a while. What what amazed me was this: how the apartments were relatively small, um, and also that what was interesting too. I was like, I was like, oh my god, there's no kind of kitchen, <laughs> because <Yeah. laughs> basically. Um, the, the you, you you utilize the the downstairs the kind of the restaurants and takeaway um, facilities and less kind of in in a traditional home you have a, like kitchens kind of one of the main focal points um, and that, I don't know in your experience was that a new a new kind of tackling that as well I think the idea of city within cities I think um, you know sort of a talk about the concentration of all the activities mm. that takes place in this complex. Uh, you know, again, a doctor was one of the first ones to implement, implement that in a town hall, Lumiere, designed by uh, Norman Foster. Yeah. And uh, then he took that model to Central Park and designed by John Nouvelle, you know, world-class architect. So yeah. uh, there was clear sort of setting of the new benchmark in this market. And, and, and what we see today still very much goes back to that. What's well, interesting because in like 15 years, you've gone from doing like during the GFC, like starting your own business um, from being kind of, you know, relatively not known to now in your own right being a star architect that's known definitely nationally and internationally. How does that feel? I mean, that's not a long time, is it? 15 years. You've, you've, you've been incredible. Yeah, I think uh, 13 years. So 13 years. Uh, my practice just becoming a teenager, you know, Vince, if you like. And uh, uh, teenager still... You know, there's a lot to lot to learn, I suppose. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, I'm really thankful uh, for all the opportunity. And uh, yeah, we definitely uh, won the opportunities, but equally, you know, uh, we we grew uh, from strength to strength. And when we started, you know, uh, we sort of focused on more interior design. We wanted mm -hmm. to call more interior architecture yeah. because the, the the way we design is it's it's really involved structural element. There was a sense of you know architecture within architecture, if you like, you know, yeah, yeah. and we were very much conscious of that. Yeah. And uh, with that, you know, we went from interior, let's say, architecture to architecture, and then you know, as we stand today, you know, from a you know more national focus to become an international, and uh, it just we just grew yeah. organically. Well, it's interesting because both you and William Smart. Uh, seem to kind of be kind of doing it at the same time. Were you, were you, I know you guys are friends, but uh, were you competitive with each other? Or are you? <laughs> I think uh, William is uh, one of the few architects, I think, obviously, you know, uh, as a colleague, but equally, when, when I started my practice, he was already way ahead of us. And, uh, you know, I look up to his business model and, uh, you know, I'm really forever thankful that, you know, he, he's a little bit of a mentoring role for me and he gives me advice today. And But equally, we sort of compete one, one against yeah. each other. Yeah, yeah. So it's the healthy competition. But, you know, I, I really appreciate that today's, you know, architects are so ego-driven and they, they really talk about only themselves. And But William has that sort of uh, very generosity in terms of sharing his knowledge and advising when it counts. And, uh, you know, yeah. I really appreciate this type of... Uh, uh, yeah, that's it's very important in, in in our industry to to maintain that uh, friendship because you share so much in common, um, but both very distinctively uh, 
different in approaches, but still incredible. I mean, we're lucky to have both of you in this country. Um, and uh, and you and what's really, really cool to kind of see over time that the, the kind of, I guess, the influence that you've had on, on the buildings and how we live in, the, in various buildings that you've worked on across the, in Sydney and across the country and now internationally. Um, we had William Smart on the podcast uh, a, a little while ago on on, the, on our series, which uh, anyone listening in can can check it out. Um, you grew up in Asia uh, and born to Japanese parents before moving to Japan as a kid. Um, what was your childhood like? I think I was uh, very much a curious um, child mm-hmm. and uh, just always wanted to explore. And in, in a strange way, I always liked, I think I was always outdoor. Uh, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, I think today uh, people say that we spend 90% of our life indoor. There's a wow. statistics about that. 90%. That's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. So I think, you know, I think as opposed to this pandemic, you know, make us realize that being outdoor makes us happier. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I think as a, as a child, I really like to be out. Uh, and, and I think, let's say, uh, Tokyo, uh, where, where I grew up, still had a lot of nature, you know, like a sort of a mountain in the river and, and, and uh, I was, you know, picking up beetles or, you know, uh, this sort of um, Japanese shrimp on the, in the river and you're going in and you know, catch fish and all that. Wow. But now, you know, it's impossible to do. I mean, this, this kind of rich natural environment disappear even from uh, where, where I grew up. And uh, so, you know, as a childhood, I think I was, I started to be conscious of that, mm-hmm. you know, like every day, it's like a fisherman, you know, yeah. uh, you know, if you've not a man, fisher child, I don't know, like I was catching a lot of fish and of course you release them yeah. and it's that the pleasure of catching it. It's really, then you get better every year at it. And, but while I'm doing it, my skill get, got better, but I I caught less and less fish, for instance, ah. and I realized that this this creek uh, was being polluted, and, uh, and 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 so I don't know. With subconsciously, as as a child mindset, you know, I start to see all this building coming up, you know, next to the rice field, or you know, and then eventually all this natural environment eventually disappeared. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, still selective remain, but, uh, you know, I, let's say I, I go back to my parents' home, uh, very much the, the river still stays as it is, all yeah. the mountains gone, for instance, and all the a good child, you know, places where I had good childhood memories uh, completely disappeared. So this, this was, I suppose, first realization. And, and today, you know, perhaps the reaction being architects in responding to this, uh, you know, childhood experience is, I suppose, become what I do. Well, I think a lot of your work obviously has been influenced by nature, isn't it? I mean, you have a lot of natural materials in, in your buildings, in your um, homes, etc. Mm, I think this is the, actually uh, the point that I, I, I wanted to talk because I think that natural materialities and uh, it's very much so and, and my heritage, let's say, look back to Japanese tradition, mm. definitely the carpent, carpentries and use of natural stone, yeah. uh, you know, the timbers work, workmanship is incredible. Yeah. But, you know, coming to, let's say, this Western environment, and uh, it's really very much focused on the um, you know, limited res- resource. And in, in today's pandemic, the builder just can't get materials, right? Mm-hmm. And that alone is a problem. But mm-hmm. moving forward, increasingly, we need to look to 
locally sourced materials and industry to supply uh, materials. And by, you know, once we do that, unfortunately, the natural materiality start to disappear as a choice. Then the next question is, how can you evoke that look and feel with hybrid or artificial materials? And this is where I'm really fascinated with finding the balance between artificial mm. and natural. And I think that what struck me too when looking at your work is just the, the quality. Um, traditionally, when you look at some of the developments uh, around, around the world, um, they're often kind of done for maximizing kind of, I guess, the, uh, the build, you know, the, the time frame and kind of, you know, kind of glass cream boxes, not yours, but others that are just kind of, you know, fairly low spec homes. Um, it seems to be kind of a standard that's, that's it's, this, this still happens. But I think that when I look at your work, it's just so, you know, you manage to have that craftsmanship um, in in every, like dovetail joints or, or the, that material, that craftsmanship in in a home, even if in a relatively small, you know, 50, 40 square meter apartment. Um, just You can just tell that it's been made with love. It's been made with care. It's been made with consideration. And it's made to last. And that feeling that you get, is obviously the feeling that you want people to feel is feel good and feel comfort um you know i think the feeling uh, especially being happy being in that space very important factors and uh you know often we neglect talking about that, about this uh but mm. uh yeah, yeah no no I, I i definitely agree with uh you know um uh, you know i i sort of look to nature and uh to, to give us this, uh, you know, uh, design inspiration. But ultimately, you know, it's really about, you know, humanizing architecture, mm -hmm. you know, the humanizing design. It's, it's really important. And again, we talked about we live in this fast, fast life and, you know, in the digital age, we really need to preserve this quality. And, it, and yeah. the, one of the important qualities, the emotion things. I really mm -hmm. do more and more I do architecture to be able to express it you know, to be able to draw people's emotion is increasingly important because you look around, there's no emotion in, in the built environment anymore. Mm. It's just this, you know, call it box after boxes of, uh, you know, copy and paste, you might have called it. Yeah. And, um, yeah. you know, this uh, one after another, this very efficient, you know, commercialized economic models, like mm. ideal way to make money. And that alone does not really speak out to you. And no. this is where I think that we talk about nature, of course. You go out to nature, I don't know, you generate yourself. You just simply be happy outdoor yeah. in, the, in the forest or touching the water, you know, mm -hmm. or swimming uh, out in the ocean. All of this really makes you happy. So why can you bring that quality in design and, and, and somehow integrate that? Yeah. Can you tell me how you design happiness? <laughs> yeah, very important part. I think, you know, really uh, one of the principles that we really put a lot of passion, and you'd call it love, a lot mm. of our product uh, has, uh, you know, human touch and, and uh, made with love. Uh, that's, that's really great. It's a bit like a food, isn't it? Like you, mm. you prepare and then you really select uh, the produce that, that goes in and make sure that, that it's organic or whatever that you, you become obsessed with. Uh, is part of giving love. And, and then when, when you collect and you put a lot of passion and care, of course, people will feel your, you know, dedication and the commitment and, uh, mm. and, 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 and our love to another person. And uh, 
and design definitely can uh, play yeah, that and, role. And how do, how do they feel talking to people who have bought into one of your, one of your developments or one of your homes? How do they feel? What what kind of insights do you get from talking to them about how they feel in living in them in in them in, in the everyday? Uh, uh, interesting. One of uh, my staff uh, moved into uh, uh, the building that we designed, mm-hmm. and uh, they were, I think, living in the building that let's say other architects designed, and uh, uh, it was very much surrounded with the concrete. And uh, while this was a beautiful proportion and it's, it's a fantastic design, they felt sick. And oh, uh, yeah, and then, and then sort of uh, perhaps the orientation didn't help, but they move into the east facing and, and, and you know, our palette is, let, let's say, more neutral. Oh, were they in the William, were they in William's apartment? No, 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 <laughs> not William's one. <laughs> uh. Yeah. Yeah, okay. you know, and okay. uh, look, let's say more industri- industrial design, yeah. you know, and then they move to nature-inspired design, if you like. But, you know, just having this white wall, and it's just simple, neutral color, bounce a lot of light. And mm. in natural light, you wake up in the morning, it's very simple things, but it makes you happy instantly. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. open the curtain or blinds, when the light hits and it's just filled with the natural light, wow, that just gives you that energy charge. And that's the sort of thing that they were saying, like, oh, we feel somehow happier. Yeah. <laughs> and that was one of the best compliments, I thought. And I, I know maybe they're saying because of me, but like, you know, without that, I think, uh, you know, it's a very important part of, you know, when we design, we think of others, you know, yeah. in, in, in terms of lifestyle, not so much design, you know. And I think our design should be invisible, but somehow you feel it. You know, whether the wind comes through or the light comes through, this again, the interaction with mm. nature. But yeah. we, we carefully, you know, position the building or the orientations or how the light, if it, uh, you know, reflect and so on and so forth. Uh, you know, it, that's a part of the craft, I think you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, exactly. I mean, when, you, when some of these apartment developments are 300 apartments, or whatever, you have a, it's incredible the number of people that you would affect in that way. Yeah. So I think we're responsible for, I don't know, you do 200 apartments, let's say, you know, 300 or 400 people's happiness, right? Yeah. <laughs> Every day's happiness. So it's really about uh, designing something that make impact, an impact in a sense that the positive impact. And being aware, I guess, on every single apartment, because there are no two apartments are the same, although I guess it's a similar kind of um, uh, design. Um, but the light would have be affected in the air, et cetera, in different ways, different orientation. I guess being aware of that be, is really important in terms of, um, you know, just seeing what happens. Yeah. And you know that all the natural elements you talked about is free. It doesn't cost your clients. No, yeah, <laughs> to, light to in the incorporate. air. Yeah, and so why not? And we have, uh, you know, a great nature that surrounds us in Australia, and yeah. um, why not? integrate why don't you connect with that uh, yeah, environment exactly. i heard you were a junior bmx champion of japan is that true yes <laughs> i uh no interesting uh i almost turned pro uh mm-hmm. and uh it was that sort of a point in which i had to decide whether i become a bmx pro uh, freestyle so you do all the tricks uh, flatland mm-hmm. yeah. and street and um or, or become an architect and uh, obviously, you know, 
uh, Avikamp, who I am, but uh, a lot of my friends that were training with me thought I was a nerd choosing architecture over BMX, you know, and they still call me nerd. <laughs> oh, God. I bet, was your bike yeah. wood, made of wood? Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, you know, it, it was the steel. I think steel is very accurate. Yeah. You, know, you could really get the accurate bike dimensions. Yeah. But anyhow, you know, uh, BMX really taught me a lot of stuff, you know, for instance, balancing act, because you really have to be on the edge still balancing mm -hmm. with the two wheels and um, you hop on the, you know, uh, the bar and then sort of you stand up and ride in circles and stuff like that. You really, really push your limit. And uh, I, I don't know, maybe I learned how to push, uh, you know, boundaries uh, with BMX. And now I'm sort of doing that as an architect. Yeah, amazing. I guess it gave you a, a confidence, a, you know, your personal confidence of doing things. Um, I, spent a, I spent some time living in Japan, in Tokyo, in around 98, 2000, I think it was, as the creative director of Japanese Vogue, you know, Vogue Nippon, um, which was a really incredible experience. I mean, my God, what a phenomenal city. And culture is just incredible. And I just was mesmerized by the passion and, and, and the quality of people's, what they did, you know, like, you know, whether it's presenting vegetables or fruit or food or uh, architecture, any kind of form of design. It was this incredible kind of standard of craftsmanship across the, the country. It just, I guess there's an incredible heritage there of that. Um, I found it kind of tricky at times in terms of doing business because obviously I was a guy gene um, coming in and, and it was, it was, I found it quite hard. Um, as, as much as I loved it, it was tricky with the, um, you know, working in another language, uh, especially when the kind of the, the communication was in Japanese, well, it was a mixture of Japanese and English, but uh, predominantly Japanese. Um, hold on. Uh, how did the impact of growing up in this kind of environment affect your design? I think, uh, as you mentioned, Japanese society is very polite societies. Mm. Let's say people are very polite, Incredibly. and uh, and then and, and you know, let's say tend to uh, take care of everything that they do. And I yep. think it's probably a cultural thing, in a good and bad ways, I suppose. Uh, you know, I, I look back and um, you know, let's say uh, I had to conform to uh, expectation, you know, whether it's being in the schools or outside. So, so having that discipline, mm -hmm. uh, it's very important uh, to, to have, you know, to create the environment uh, that you experience, right? Mm -hmm. Visiting uh, Japan as a gaijin, as a foreigner. And, um, you know, uh, but it, when you live inside, it's really about then servicing that quality constantly. Mm -hmm. And it becomes a it becomes a pressure, I think. And growing up, uh, if I like that kind of uh, discipline or education, yes, uh, yes and no, I suppose. And mm -hmm. uh, as you know, in Japan, you don't say yes or no, so it's always in between. Answer is in between. Yeah. There's so many ways to answer yes and no. Yeah. Uh, variations of yes and no, let's say. But anyhow, uh, uh, that's to me really drove me crazy. You know, and, and I kind of like sometimes that more Western, you know, when obviously I took off, uh, I left Japan and went to US and it's this, then all of a sudden everything black and white. Yeah. Yes or no, you know, and uh, there was no grays in between. And I, I, I sort of, uh, pre, I suppose by way of uh, growing up in Japan, 
uh, prepare me to appreciate other cultures because you know your childhood and your you know experience really formed the criteria or the framework in which you assess the other cultures, other parts of the world, and uh, from that point of view, Japan uh, had. You know, I don't know. I still uh, would like to carry that sense of politeness, and you know, uh, uh, we, Japanese culture tend to tend to have this more modest modesty, mm. uh, honesty about the way we live and the way we appreciate nature or the way we talk to other people. You know, it's really about not selfish, but it's really about the other people. Yeah. And you have to somehow conform to that otherness and and that i think helped me uh coming to other cultures and and prepare me to to deal with as a, as a very much a contrasting um aspect of life you can see it clearly in your design that empathy is is a key part of uh understanding people and 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 you design for people you don't design for your own personal ego i mean speaking of the complete opposite you how did you end up going to new york yeah, New York. I mean, I suppose it's sort of one way or another, everybody looked to New York and uh, I was very naive, uh, 16 years old. I sort of saw this image of Manhattan and I don't know, ever since it just keep, kept coming back to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did many research and uh, eventually I found out obviously art and architecture and uh, anything that creative, let's say, uh, many good design or good designer educated originally from from this part of the world. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, I just wanted to to go there and, and 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 just feel the environment. You know, smell the air, talk to people, just 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 understand what's like being in that space uh, where at the time it felt like everyone was talking about New York City as a mecca of of a lot mm-hmm. of uh, creativities that that uh, originated and uh, yeah I think uh, uh, you know contrary to my expectation when I arrived in New York and I remember coming out of Lincoln Tunnel I look up to these high-rise skyscrapers as they call it Mm -hmm. it was so massive it was almost felt intimidating Mm. and I think it's sort of a symbol of you know people have all this expectation uh, of success or the you know, in general, very fast-paced and, you know, all of that was sort of felt quite intimidating mm. living there. And you have to constantly adapt and, you know, kept up with that speed. So, mm. you know, let me say, long story short, New York, as much as I dreamt about it, became a nightmare by end of, uh, yeah, my uh, three years I lived there, yeah. Yeah, well, you're a nature boy. yeah. Yeah, I remember going to Central Park all the time. I mean, you know, Saturday, Sunday, I caught up with uh, American friends to play baseball. And, mm-hmm. and, of course, Japan obviously loved baseball. Yeah, and, huge. And I was sort of okay, good at it. And uh, so I played different positions. Anyway, so Americans accepted me. And mm-hmm. every morning, weekends, was playing baseball almost for four to five hours. And that became a routine. And, but equally, looking back, that was my balancing act. Yeah. Being in this built environment versus being in a park, which somehow uh, was, uh, uh, you know, almost like escaping from this fast pace of uh, life that expected of you. Yeah, amazing. And then, then what did you do after the three years in New York? So, uh, uh, you know, 
and obviously I question the this sort of high rise the form of uh, you know developers' desires and people's ego and and and, and what it means to to architects or all of us uh, living there. And uh, I don't know somehow I didn't really like like that aspect and uh, I question why can't you know people design a bit like the central park is equally artificial you know very much artificial park let's say but you you sort of work with nature let, mm. let, let me say that mm -hmm. so how could architecture be like that it's a bit like the process of form in which central park was designed yeah. and so that question took us to London because uh, one of my professor went to Architecture Association in London, and it's a, this school is obviously a notorious uh, of being in a, what's Vince helped me? I mean, cutting edge, or what, what's the word, like rebels? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, they, they produce, you know, I mean, education uh, really, uh, let me say, produce uh, likes of Zaha did, Ram Kuhas. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, this keeps going on and on. And David Chipperfield, mm -hmm. you know, John Paulson was there at one point. I mean, it just, it, this went on and on and on and on. And, um, you know, thankfully I had, uh, you know, my personal encounter and uh, with Rem Kuhas, he came as a, a critic. Um, and uh, my tutors were obviously equally very ambitious. Uh, and I learned, you know, by watching and, mm -hmm. and uh, you know how they grew as an architect, and how equally become uh, uh, you know become a superstar. And mm -hmm. uh, Fashid Musavi and Alejandro Zayla uh, Polo, Foreign Office architects, then become absolute superstar yeah. while I was studying under them. And even just seeing that happen in front of you was such wow. a valuable education because That's things cool. you know seeing is believing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they and they were they were, you know busy working as well as teaching i mean they were that's a, that's and they're the best they're, they're the best in the business and you're learning from the best not a no you know it's a, it's a funny story I, I heard afterwards that they won this massive competition and uh they actually didn't have a setup and and they were working from home in which when we went where we went to get tutorial for instance and there was a few people but when the the clients came they had to to sort of make it look like 10, 20 people office, you know. Yeah. So, you know, students, and I heard of this kind of story uh, that uh, I.M. Pei, when he started practice, he, he had, he, when he got the job, he didn't even have business cards. So first thing he did was went into the printing shop and designed on spot, said, put the name and designed this business card yeah. of his. Yeah. And then and he went back to clients and then gave away the business card. But I think, you know, chicken or egg, you know, I think this is really, to me, same thing happened to me, I suppose. And uh, it's equally, uh, you know, uh, you have to be very creative to be trusted and gain confidence in equal ways in business. Yeah, well, where does your self-motivation come from? Like, what, what motivates you? What drives you? I think, uh, look, I, I love design. I like uh, to be surrounded with, uh, let me say, beautiful things. Uh, could be proportion, texture, color you know, and uh, equally coupled with this, you know, natural light. I'm very sensitive to light, uh, smells, uh, colors, uh, you know, very much all of this very important part of inspiration and as opposed to motivation to keep creating this environment that surround myself, my life, but equally, you know, offer that to other people. Mm -hmm. uh, and, um, 
and, and this was obviously the way in which I, you know, established my practice and kept going. But today, if you ask me my motivation, what uh, wakes me up in the morning and get up and go to work and drive myself, uh, really, it's, it's really about dealing with this uh, climate change matters and uh, in, in our construction industry contributes to uh, 40% of greenhouse emission. Mm. And, and this is getting way too serious yeah. uh, to ignore it. And, and this, in one way or another, we, we or I or we cannot resolve the whole problems, but certainly we can see the way we can reverse this problem, you know. And I think in more and more, I, I gain and practice years after years, I feel like what we do is reversing, you know. And, and, and you talk about, I talk about three Ps. So one is the profit people of the planet. Yes. So the profit is really not about making money, but it's really about how you bring it back, including the local businesses, because yeah. we are in a, such a globalized entity. Yeah. And, uh, but how can you include the local businesses, right? And the people, of course, we are becoming increasingly privatized. How do you then give back to the uh, public domain? The planet has become another matters, and this massively motivates us and drives us. You know, this climate change matters, which you know our industry contribute. How can we reverse it? Mm. You know, so this, this is really an important motivation, and uh, equally the balance. Have that. you found that? Do you think, do you think that's something you've always had in you from like your early days as a kid in Japan? Yeah, I mean, you know, I talked about watching nature being destroyed, and um, I don't know. I didn't know what was happening, of course. And mm. equally, my mom said, you have to come out of the river because it's being polluted. It's not good for you. And at school, you learn all these industrializations happening even around our yeah. town. And, yeah. and uh, older generation will look at it as a positive things because bring more, more money and economy and great, I suppose, the stronger politics and so on and so forth. Uh, not knowing where where we are heading in terms of environmental crisis at the time. I mean, this is, you know, 20, 30 years ago. And, and I think that currently, you know, we, we look at, uh, you know, let's say talking about industrial, in, industrialization means we created this, uh, if, if you say that human, humanity created this problem to ourselves last 200 years since the mm -hmm. industrial revolutions. Now we are pledging to fix this. Mm -hmm let's call it the carbon neutrality by 2050. Mm -hmm. And, and Australia is a little bit behind. We will catch up to this. Mm -hmm. If not by uh, pub, uh, uh, public sector, we will get it by a private sector. Mm -hmm. But anyway, um, you know, 29 years, 2050 is 20, um, you know, not, not 30 years ago, we're already counting 29, yeah. 28 years to go. Yeah. And how can we reverse this, you know, uh, it, it, and how can we fast track these this problems, you know, and 200 years of doing and fix that in such a short amount of time is a really uh, a massive challenge. Well, Central Park, one Central Park um, 13 years ago was uh, a five-star, um, five-star green rated building, which was one of the first, I guess, in Australia. Um, I mean, what, what, where, where, where are we at now? Are we on six, seven, eight? What? <laughs> What is, how does it work? Yeah, so you can achieve six stars mm -hmm. and uh, just a small tweak and, and you, you could achieve six stars. And this rating is, uh, there's so many rating tools uh, and, um, and that alone does not lead you to, uh, you know, let's say carbon neutrality. 
uh, in the big picture. But I think it's really that this is a marathon, you know, and uh, no one no one has a formula. But it is no. really that first we must, uh, you know, uh, share our thought, if not teaching people what to do. Uh, mm-hmm. That we must have this kind of leadership mentality, mm-hmm. and if not other people doing, and especially uh, you know if we don't have a legislation to to force us to do it, uh, that that sh- we should uh, equally drive us uh, and yeah. make that a reason to drive us to to achieve up and above the target, and and uh, and if not carbon neutral, let it be carbon positive. You you should gain more energy. The bu- the the building itself can store extra energy, give it back to the grid. And we are actually working on this type of project already. So it's not mm. a far distance future, but it is a reality in which we must accept. And and bit like electric car, uh, I turn to green car uh, and I, I start driving it and I'm very impressed. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and it's a no brainer that this would be the way for future, but the transition mm. would take time. In our industry, equally, a bit like electrification of car industry, yeah. it will take time. But we must keep reminding ourselves, this is not something that we do in 30 years. We must start now, in action now. And what can we do today? And that's the question mark. And, and do you have your clients? Um, I mean, a while back, clients weren't that interested in, in the environment necessarily or doing the right thing because it felt it was expensive or their perception that it was going to cost more. Are you finding now that the clients want it more than ever, that the, that the people buying into the developments are wanting it? I think, uh, yeah, I mean, the whole world uh, would uh, ask for it, I think, eventually. Mm. Uh, because, you know, pandemic, the realization is that, okay, this was a health crisis, let's call it, yeah. and we are much more aware of our well-being. And, then, and the environmental crisis is somewhat related to this, let's say. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it, it fixing, let me say, fixing this climate change problem, it's not, we're not doing this for the nature or the planet, ultimately. We are doing this for humanity, you know, because nature would live on. And then the planet Earth is five, five billion years old, and, and, and the planet would still get to live another five billion years yeah. old. Yeah, That's yeah. what science is sort of saying. Yeah. So it's really not a, ultimately about just talking about planet. It's really about what can we do to our future generations. And, uh, and, and, and I think this is uh, really an important question. And coming back to the client, they say that, let's say, 80% of what we plan up front without even touching or building construction or anything physical uh, determines the performance and outcome of the building. Mm-hmm. So... You know, you realize what we do, Vince, is so important so up important. front yeah. to put a lot of thought and, uh, and consider our conscious future. And that yeah. determines, in fact, the outcome and in our future equally. So getting the clients, uh, we're we, we trying to uh, uh, filter through and talk about our mission, our vision, including sustainability. And the people that come on board, uh, we are willing willingly take that opportunity, more so than, let's say, bigger project makes, possibly makes more profit but not necessarily contribute to sustainability. And this is a very, very dangerous part of uh, business because the business could shrink by doing this. But I think equally the communication, the education, you know, Vince, we work together and mm. what we put out is becoming increasingly more and more and more important because people need to understand the story 
you know, and it's Absolutely. not just doing the project and make money. So yeah. the purpose, we really need to make sure that from with a client, what are we doing this together? And, and, and this is the fundament, becoming ever fundamental to running of the practice. I mean, it's design has screwed up the world in so many ways. Uh, possibly not intentionally in a lot of ways, but design can save the world. It literally can. And I'm glad glad to hear you're you're a big advocate of that and playing your part. Um, can we talk about um, cr the Crown Group? Um, because you do quite a lot of work with them in Sydney and now in L.A. Um, how did that relationship start and, and what are you doing? Uh, I think uh, Crown Group, uh, I think we were uh, sort of after Central Park, we, we become sort of then known for uh, interior uh, you know, design uh, of the multi-residential uh, development. Mm -hmm. So we were invited to do, obviously, uh, uh, opportunity that they presented to us. Uh, and then not so long after, uh, Ivan Sanito, the CEO of Crown Group, uh, asked me if I want to try architecture and uh, sort of said, why don't you try the podium, if not the hall? And, uh, and then eventually we did the podium, but in fact, we designed the whole lot, you know, because we didn't feel that podium with one architect and the tower with another architect would go well together. So, you know, I don't know. Uh, we just push push ourselves and just sort of presented the whole design. So, so wow. he he was a very important client uh, for our practice because we went from interiors to architecture, and this was in, in a sort of a large scale. Uh, very important because you know if you look at it again, you know there was discussion about chicken or egg. Do do <laughs> I, you know, bring somebody much more experience? In business to get this job so mm. we can deliver mm. or do we get this job then we know that we can pay more experienced people to come join us yeah you know this was chicken or egg i call yeah. it still chicken or egg. and it was a, such a fine line uh, but uh we, we obviously made it happen as a yeah. practice and uh you know going back to you know discussion discussion about uh, my tutors you know their early age but again I saw them next to me doing it you know I, I read the story of you know likes of you know I am pay I talk about with the business card again what is the equivalent to you that you could do to to you know let's say uh, leapfrog that your you know capabilities and this is the part that again you you use your creative juice to to grab that opportunity. And I think that Ivan equally was brave enough, but saw something in us that could do something that perhaps, uh, you know, let's say thinking outside the box. It's really cool, isn't it, when a client like that sees potential in, in you, in yeah, one. But, exactly. But you, you haven't got the proof. You haven't, you haven't necessarily exactly. done it. How, so how do you get the job? I mean, for listeners, this is really an interesting yeah. discussion because yeah. I often get asked, you know, you become so successful in, in such a short time. How did you do it? I mean, I, I don't know consciously how I did it. You know, we, we just did it organically. And I think we talked about it. I think, Vince, you asked me, did you ever imagine you're going to become 30 or 40 or 50 people office? Mm -hmm. Never. I, I didn't plan that in a, a front. Yeah. We thought I would be happy with six people, you know, like yeah, family yeah. members, you know. Yeah, yeah. But now I become like a community, you know. And, uh, and I think that, that looking back, 
obviously you do it step by step, but uh, you know equally uh, you need the client, uh, and, and you are supposed to ask as good as the client's vision takes takes you to, you know. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and Ivan had this, uh, let me say, very grand vision of how he wanted to, uh, you know, uh, you know, have architecture as a statement and uh, contribute to the new future of Sydney. It's incredible, isn't it, when someone entrusts you in in that type of situation because it does. It's it's it, that connection with that client is so powerful, and it's it changes your future. It changes the direction of your going, or you know, ha- makes makes things happen quicker. Or, I mean, I, I, f- I found by early on just saying yes to everything. A lot of people told me not to say yes. I just say yes to everything. Um, and you did because you're on this podcast, so you said yes, obviously. But <laughs> it's like. Some people say, don't say yes, be more careful, be more, you know, say no more often, be harder to get hold of and all this. I don't, I don't personally believe in that. I just go, I'm here. I've got, uh, I'm optimistic. I'm passionate about doing things well and, and, and um, growing the team and, and helping kind of create opportunities. By saying yes, really cool things happen. Um, things that you could never imagine if you planned. Uh, or if you said no to things that you were scared of. Because often it's scary, this, isn't it? Like you're doing something for the first time. It's like, especially you, you're doing like these mega buildings. There's a lot at stake. I mean, you must have felt a huge amount of responsibility. I think, uh, like I said, I saw this happen. I mean, I, I, I did train myself among, uh, you know, great architects uh, in the past. And, mm-hmm. you know, sort of that training comes back to you and said, Look, you know, I didn't do it everything myself. I didn't draw everything myself, but... Yeah. But equally, I saw how it, how it became an architecture as a realization. And I think that's, that's all you need. I think you, you just need to expose yourself to that journey and it just mm-hmm. gut feel. I think, Vince, I'm sure you feel the same. We all, I always go back to gut feel. I revert back to gut feel. Mm-hmm. When, when, when you're in sort of trouble or in a challenging moment, if you start asking questions, you always, as a defense mechanism, you tend to revert back to that mechanism yeah. and keep asking people. So I stopped asking people for advice. At it's some confusing. point, you take advice. Yeah, yeah but you, when you have to commit, you just go back to your gut feel and just do it. You know, success or fail, failure, yeah. doesn't matter. You are responsible for it. And I think being that is a wonderful you know, position to be a leadership because, you know, you know everything else determining on your, you know, hard work, your, your commitment. And once yeah. you commit, you know, you just have to go for it and you never look back. Yeah. Well, you, it looks like to me like you take every opportunity you have to actually create something new as well. You don't just keep doing the same thing over and over again. You know, it's an opportunity to evolve and grow. I think I, uh, you know, uh, I heard that uh, uh, someone like Rem Kuhas do competition, you know, there's a site, mm-hmm. right? They define the competition site, but mm-hmm. he proposed not on that site, but next door because he believed that the program would suit it to next door. <laughs> and he, he submit like that. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's crazy, it seems. You know, that's the sort of education I learned from AA. And, uh, and then coming back to this, I think that uh, there's a number of projects that we were commissioned to do interiors of, let's say, ground level. This mm. was actually a project in Tokyo, mm-hmm. uh, which we recently realized. But uh, and and that's so all. They said, oh, 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 please design this ground floor interiors, and maybe 
little bit of out, outside the door, uh, yeah. the facade. But, you know, we end up looking at the building itself, go, wow, this really doesn't make sense. So we end up submitting the whole lot, reversing it wow. inside up completely. And apparently we are the only one uh, submitted like that, like, let's say, completely ignore the brief. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and somehow <laughs> you just said, look, I really disagree with this brief, so why don't we create our brief and just submit? Yeah. And somehow work with this particular client. And you won it? Yeah. Oh, well and done. And I think, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, one of the uh, IT company, big big IT companies and, yeah. you know, very responsible uh, to do, let's call it our first building uh, project in, in, uh, in Tokyo. And um, so, uh, you know, uh, again, chicken no egg, you know, Amazing. you sort of don't have capability over there. I know I'm a Japanese heritage. I could speak the language, yeah. but I don't have that package. So yeah. what can we add to, add to the opportunity? So this is when you sort of take, take that small risk yeah. and uh, just go for it. Well, it's probably not a small risk, but it's, it's actually you, you believing, you're doing what you believe in is the right thing to do. So it's not compromised. Like if you're presenting, you're going, I'm going to present this, but really I'm just going to do it to win it, not because, I, you know, something I believe in. I mean, that makes a big difference to the outcome of the project, doesn't it? Big time. And I remember this project, everybody had fun. And it was like literally showing project because we really had fun. Like, wow, imagine we could do, what if we do, because we are not constrained with this so-called client's brief. Yeah. Remember, like we went, just went for it. So yeah. we start creating these things that, okay, still within certain regulation, like height and setback and all that. And, uh, and, and we didn't do overtime to win it. We didn't do all this extra thing that you do for competition. Somehow we just did it uh, and uh, submitted. And uh, I was really, it really showed in that scheme. Like we were really happy and having fun doing this scheme. And I suppose these clients has that attitude in, in their business. So it probably aligned with their philosophy. Mm. You, you, you're a visionary as well, as, as all of these people that are commissioning you, uh, which is really, really cool. And I guess you've kind of grown that confidence uh, over, uh, over time. Um, you got a great book coming out, which I still haven't seen, Koichi Takada, Architecture, Nature and Design. It looks incredible. Uh, published by New York Rizzoli. Uh, comes out in October. Um, how the hell did that happen? <laughs> it's like, that's not a small book either. Yeah, I mean, first monogram and, you know, Rizzoli is one of the three biggest yeah, I think, they're awesome. uh, distributors and, yeah, amazing opportunities. And uh, so uh, when we worked on a, a museum, uh, a national uh, museum of Qatar, yeah, so Vince... Uh, uh, the, how the publication opportunity came about. Uh, so when we worked on uh, interiors of uh, National Museum of Qatar, uh, designed by Jean Nouvel, uh, mm -hmm. uh, we come across Philippe Jodido. He was equally commissioned to do the book for Jean Nouvel. Uh, mm -hmm. And we were also uh, included in this uh, publication by Jensen oh, yeah. Hansen. Mm -hmm. uh, it's called National Museum of Qatar, and it really talks about the process making and uh, you know celebration of uh, history of uh, Qatari culture, mm -hmm. and 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 so Philip Philip uh, was commissioned to do this, and uh, uh, we come across uh, of course uh, in, in in Doha, uh, he sort of approached me and said, 
I, I never heard of you. I don't know your work, but I saw your work on the Qatar uh, submissions, and it's uh, it's uh, really incredible. Can I talk to you about it? In mm. fact, that discussion becomes more extensive and said, "Are you actually have you actually done your monogram?" And uh, I said, "No, show me a project." So anyway, so what's a monogram? conversation led to another. <laughs> so a monogram is something that you. It, it's it's on on your work, so it's yeah, not yeah. the mixture of combination of other architects as a you know collective uh, way to pu pu publish on the one theme. But mm -hmm. this is really about, let's say, the journey that we took, mm -hmm. and um, uh, you know uh, the sort of a title. I mean, my name is on it, but important one is the word nature and architecture, nature and design. Yep. Initially, uh, Philip Jordido talked about subtitle as architecture and design, and, and he does all this, uh, you know, incredible public publication uh, on Tadao Ando, Zahadid, mm. Renzo Piano, and, and all the great masters that I look up to. Wow. And uh, most of them really talk about architecture and design. So it, when I was approached, I said, look, architecture and design, yes, uh, but equally, the nature is very much important part of our design. Yeah. So I sort of insisted to include that nature, and with that, the theme uh, uh, was, you know, uh, talked around that, uh, uh, you know, nature uh, as an inspiration source of architecture and equally this book. Amazing. And how long did it take to put together? And what's in it? <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, it simply put the first uh, decade, it's actually not 13 years of practice, but first 10 years of uh, mm -hmm. uh, the work that we accomplish and selective works. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, uh, we want to sort of define that first 10 years. So, um, you know, there, there are a lot of small, small projects in it and um, a lot of restaurants uh, and, and to becoming uh, more architectural project and uh, and then the going from Australia very much a, a national domestic project to international so it's really documenting the journey and how we draw inspiration from nature talk about sunflower house in Italy uh, yeah sunflower house we were approached by um, uh, Bloomberg media mm-hmm and uh, uh, they were talking about the new Bauhaus movement and they commissioned three architects to come up with, uh, let's say, a, a prototype project. And uh, the Bauhaus, as, as you know, it's really uh, was about celebration of uh, in industrial materialities and, 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 and coming out of that this uh, you know, school like Bauhaus or Miss van der Rohe or Gropius, where they talk about, uh, you know, form follows function, uh, less is more. So it becomes ultimately created the uh, modernism, you know, uh, in which we, we look around all this uh, beautiful object uh, really come out of this movement. And, uh, but moving forward, they sort of, uh, you know, uh, European Union advocates that, you know, while it's maintaining that good part of Bauhaus from the past, but can we add the sustainability uh, in this new Bauhaus movement? So uh, we were given a brief to come up with the, uh, what they call carbon positive dueling. What do you mean by carbon positive? Which is a little bit confusing, but uh, if you live in this house, you don't have to pay any bills. But equally, this house is designed in such a way that 
it store extra energy, uh, electricities, uh, which you can you know, feed back to grid. Mm. So we designed this uh, house that we call it Sunflower, again, you know, inspired by the Sunflower, Mm-hmm. and uh, proposed in the uh, uh, east coast of Italy uh, and this place uh, known for this uh, sunflower field. Mm-hmm. They use this sunflower, of course, for cooking, but equally for the uh, biofuel that uh, increasingly becoming, uh, you know, uh, next generation of sustainable fuel. But anyhow, um, you know, this, when I was standing looking at this field, I remember in the morning this sunflower was watching me and then, uh, you know, end of the day when I came back, every sunflower looked away from me. And I thought how wonderful the way that mm. this, uh, you know, <laughs> nature uh, follows, you know, other parts of nature and somehow mm. interact and create the life uh, uh, that they need to. And um, so the, this house uh, has this uh, 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 big solar panels uh, that uh, follows the sun. So uh-huh. it's quite a dynamic and uh, charge uh, 40% more efficient than the traditional models. And wow. equally, the living space, like, uh, you know, uh, you could sort of imagine the subject to this extreme heat that you keep hearing from this part of Italy. I think it's going up to 50 degree or something. It's almost feel like being in a desert in the Middle East. It, it's really crazy uh, that Mediterranean cause uh, hitting this uh, kind of temperature. But uh, imagine that in a, in a very uh, hot summer days, you could move the living room away from the sun and keep creating the shade. And, uh, you know, so mm. uh, and equally in a, in a cold winter, you, you follow the sun to keep heating up the room. Mm. And, and, and very much uh, this design is used with the technology, uh, but really follow what nature, let's say, teaches us. That's amazing. Have you, has it been built? Have you, have you been there? Uh, so, uh, so we had incredible. So this was more visionary project and we had a number of inquiries. Mm-hmm. And uh, in fact, overseas as well as uh, Australia, the people that look at this house and said, can we build something like this? Mm. So uh, we are actually doing something that uh, close to carbon neutral neutrality in a domestic scale project, but equally we're trying to push it to create this carbon positive dwelling mm. and, and keep encouraging uh, our clients to, uh, I suppose, contribute to uh, this space. Uh, and, uh, and equally one day, uh, you know, uh, we were hoping to see uh, uh, someone to build this sunflower house in a literal sense. Mm. Uh, and, uh, you know, it'd be really uh, fantastic to see this, this house in action. Oh, it'd be incredible. How do you think we're going to be living in 10 years' time? I mean, it's not that long away, right? Yeah, I think the 10 years' time, uh, I really hope that um, uh, we, we are looking at the world uh, that very much in harmony with nature. Mm-hmm. And when I say that, I think all this crisis that we face and, uh, and increasingly we're becoming or designing more resilient uh, cities and architecture and as opposed to design in a product, uh, a product design. And, 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 and in 10 years, we should be achieving that, that balance uh, so, that, so that, you know, this will contribute to, uh, you know, our well-being and then equally to uh, happiness. And uh, uh, I really hope that uh, the world would be much greener than what we see today. Mm. 
And I always ask this question at the end of the podcast, have you designed your life? Look, I believe in design. And uh, uh, if I design my life, I think it's really, design was, uh, for me, it's, uh, it's, it's a sense of discipline. Having that discipline in which we created the frame to view the world. And uh, I think, you know, I don't know, increasingly uh, it's really important to uh, you know, understand uh, this framework and, uh, and equally to think outside that frame framework and, and be even more creative. Uh, because I still believe that design can inspire uh, people and, uh, and not just my personal life, but something that I learned through designing something that I can share and is keep inspiring uh, people and equally the natural environment, and that's looking at our planet. And Koichi, thank you for doing that. You are an inspiration, and, and I'm, I'm so glad that I know you, and so wonderful to see uh, all that you're doing and how you're evolving as a, as a person, as a dad, as a business owner, as an architect, and a, and a visionary. So uh, thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Vince. Cool, man. Thanks for listening in to this episode from Lego to Skyscrapers with Koichi Takada. Tune in next week where I'll be catching up with internationally renowned photographer Eugene Tan, aka Aquabumps out of Bondi. Thanks for listening to this episode of Design Your Life. If you'd like to find out more about how you can design your life, head to the website at designyourlife.com.au. If you found this episode inspiring, please don't forget to review and subscribe. If you have any ideas or like to get in touch, we would love to hear from you. Send us an email at hello at frostcollective.com.au.